Welcome back. It's me, the Susan Anime, and you are listening to Sloth Under the Sea with me. And we will be talking about movies, TV shows, books, fun holidays, everything from other countries to does this still hold up to this day? From, like, rub brats to, like, as told by Ginger, to Movie Monday, to True Creepy Things Tuesday, to whatever I feel like talking about, because this is my podcast, and I hope you all will stay and listen to me and have some good old-fashioned podcast fun, and we'll try to stay as calm as we can, but let's get into it, and let's all have some fun listening, and you can also see me sometimes on YouTube doing my podcast as well. Okay, here we go. It's time for an ad break slash sponsor. So I hope y'all listen and keep on tuning in because we will continue this conversation after our ad slash sponsor. I hope y'all enjoy this podcast today. And the sponsor and ad will be right back. I hope y'all enjoy this podcast please stay tuned because the ad is coming up soon and with the ad coming up soon i know y'all might want to skip but you should at least try to listen to some of it maybe it's important i hope y'all tune back in for more of this podcast and i hope the ad and sponsor is a good one artichokey okie dokie artichokey 
fabric is now. Okay. For Bookland, whatever day I choose, today we have the lottery. And now, I was wondering where, like, different, like, shows and movies got the idea to put names in a box and pull something out. Well, it's from this, is what I was told. Uh, was it The Hunger Games did it? I think Chung and Adventure Sabrina did a version of it. Everyone just seems to do a version of it. 11 Facts About Shirley Jackson's The Lottery. Okay. Writing the lottery was a snap for Shirley Jackson. Jackson, who lived in northern Bangaton, Vermont, wrote the story on a warm June day after running errands. She remembered later that the idea had come to me while I was play pushing my daughter up the hill in her stroller. It was, as I say, a warming morning, and the hill was steep. And besides my daughter, the stroller held the day's groceries, and perhaps the effort of the last 50 yards up the hill put an edge to the story. The writing came easily. Jackson dashed out the story in under two hours, making only two minor corrections when she read it, it later. I felt strongly that I didn't want to fuss with it, and sent it to her agent the next day. Though her agent didn't care for the lottery, she sent it off to the New Yorker anyway, telling Jackson in a note that it was her job to sell it, not like it. When the lottery came in, decision to publish it in the New York Times was ununanimous. According to Ruth Franklin, author of Shirley Jackson, A Rather Haunted Life, there was only one exception. Editor William Maxwell, who said the story was contrived and heavy-handed. The rest, though, were in agreement. Brenda Gill, a young staffer at the time, would later say that the lottery was one of the best stories, two or three or four best, that the magazine ever printed. The editor of the New York Times were puzzled by the story. Even Harold Ross, editor of the magazine at the time, copped to not understand it. Jackson later recalled that the magazine's fiction editor asked if she had an interpretation of the story telling her that Ross was not altogether sure that he understood the story and asked if I cared to enlarge about the, its meaning and I said no. When the editor asked if there was something the magazine should tell people who might write in or call Jackson again responded in the negative saying it was just the story I wrote. The editor asked to make a minor tweak. The editor did ask for permission to make a small change. They wanted to alter the date in the story's opening, so it considered with the date on the new issue, June 27th, Jackson said that was fine. Backlash to the lottery was instant. 
The lottery appeared three weeks after Jackson's agent had submitted it, and there was instant controversy. Hundreds of readers canceled their subscription and wrote letters expressing their rage and confusion about the story. In one such letter, Marie Friend, a librarian turned housewife, wrote, I frankly confused to being completely baffled by Shirley Jackson's The Lottery. Will you please send us a brief explanation before my husband and I scratch right through our scalps trying to fathom it? Others called the story outrageous, gruesome, and utterly pointless. I will never buy the New Yorker again, one reader from Massachusetts wrote, I resent being tricked into reading preferred stories like the lottery. There were phone calls to through the New Yorker didn't keep a record of what was said or how many calls came in. Shirley Jackson got a lot of hate mail. Yeah, I don't understand why, but I get the story because like you pull out a paper and okay, hang on, let me do to do, do the lottery. Based on Shirley Jackson's story, this unusual play is, with its shatters last scene, a proven so successful as probably winning more contests presently than any other short play, published largely in the New York Magazine, New Yorker. It produced an unprecedented reaction and this dramatic caption, the story has become an internationally known classic. Like the story of the play starts as people are assembling for the lottery. What families will be this time, which members only. Gradually do we begin to suspect the nature of the lottery as the play builds swiftly. Okay, so what happens in the lottery? Each year on a certain date, and I'm not remembering exact, they have papers they put into a box that's black that's made out of the original wood from the original lottery, but this one has like been old and it's replaced in black. And they pull out one by one a piece of paper and whoever gets a black dot gets hit by stones. They stone them to death. Literally what the story is, is like, it reminds me of The Purge, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, The Hunger Games, they pull out a thing, they say the name or have a little black dot, that's how you get it, and then they throw stones at you until you die. It's a very crazy little thing. Okay, the morning of June 27th was a clear and sunny day with the fresh warmth of a full summer day. The flowers were blooming professorly and the grass was rich and green. Rich and green. People of the village began to gather in the square between the post office and the bank around 10 o'clock. In some towns there were so many people that the lottery took two days and had to be started on June 26. But in this village where there were only about 300 people, the whole lottery took only about two hours 
so it could bring a 10 o'clock and one in the morning and still be through in time to allow the village to get home for noon dinner. I guess that means lunch, I'm not really sure. The children assemble first, of course. School was recently over for the summer and the feeling of the lottery set uneasy on the most of them. They tend to gather together quickly for a while before they break into Bistress play and their talk was still at the classroom and the teacher of book and reprimands. Bobby Martin had already stuffed his pocket full of stones. Another boy soon followed his example, selecting the smoothest and roundest stones. Bobby and Harry Jones and Dickie Duckler Cricks. The village pronounced his name. Deocracy eventually made a great pile of stones in one corner of the square and guarded it against the raids of the other boys. The girls stood aside, talking amongst themselves, looking over their shoulders at the boys, and the very small children rolled in the dust or clung to the hands of their older brothers or sisters. Soon the man began to gather, surviving surveying their own children, speaking of planting and rain. Tractors and taxes, they stood together away from the pile of stones in the corner, and their jokes were quiet, and they smiled rather than laugh. The woman, wearing faded house, dressed in sweats, came shortly after the menfolk. They greeted one another and exchanged bits of gossip as they went to join their husbands. Soon the women, standing by their husbands, began to call to their children, and the children came reluctantly, having to be called four or five times. Bobby Martin ducked under his mother's grasping hand and ran, laughing back to the pile of stones. His father spoke up sharply, and Bobby came quickly and took his place between his father and his older brother. The lottery was conducted, as were the square dancers, the teenage club, a Halloween program by Miss Summers, who had time and energy to devote to civic activities. He was a round-faced, juvenile man, and he ran the coal business and people were sorry for him because he had no children and his life was a scold. When he arrived in the square carrying the black wooden box, there was a murmur of conversation among the villagers. When he waved and called, little late today folks, the postmaster Mr. Graves followed him carrying a three-legged stool, and the stool was put in the center of the square, and Mr. Summers sat the blank box down on it. The villagers kept their distance, leaving a space between themselves and the stool, and Mrs. Summers said, Some of you fellows want to give me a hand? There was a hesitation before two men, Mr. Martin and his oldest brother, Baxter, came forward. Hmm. to hold the boxes steady on the stool while Mr. Summers 
dried up the paper inside it. The original box for the lottery had long been lost long ago, and the black box now resting on the stool had been put into use before Old Man Warner, the oldest man in the town, was born. There was a story that the About making a box, no one liked to... Okay, Mr. Summers spoke frequently to the villagers about making a new box, but no one liked to upset even as much tradition as was responded by the black box. Okie dokie, artichokey, it's time for an ad break class sponsor. So I hope y'all listen and Keep on tuning in because we will continue this conversation after our ad slash sponsor. I hope y'all enjoy this podcast today. And the sponsor and ad will be right back. I hope y'all enjoy this podcast. Please stay tuned because the ad is coming up soon. And with the ad coming up soon, I know y'all might want to skip it, but you should at least try to listen to some of it. Maybe it's important. I hope y'all tune back in for more of this podcast. And I hope the ad and sponsor is a good one, Artichokey. Okay, dokie, Artichokey. Ad break is now. There was a story that the present box had been made with pieces of the box that had preceded it, the one that had been constructed when the first people settled down to make a villager. Every year after the lottery, Mr. Summers began talking again about a new box, but every year the subject was allowed to fade off without anything being done. The black box grew shabbier each year. By now, it was no longer completely black, but splinted badly along one side to show the original wood color, and in some places, fade or stained. Mr. Ryan and his oldest son, Baxter, held the black box securely on the stool until Mr. Summer had stirred the papers thoroughly with his hand. Because so much of their ritual had been forgotten or discarded, Mr. Summers had been successful in having slips of paper submitted for the chips of wood that had been used for generations. Chips of wood, Mr. Summers had argued, had been very well when the village was tiny, but now that the population was more than 300 and likely to keep on growing, it was necessary to use something that would fit more easily into the black box. The night before the lottery, Mr. Sum and Mr. Graves made up the slip of paper and put them into the box, and it was then taken to the safe of Mr. Summer's coal company and locked up until Mr. Summers was ready to take it to the square next morning. The rest of <coughs> the year, the box was put away, sometimes one place, sometimes another. It had spent one year in Mr. Gravel's barn and another 
your underfoot in the post office and sometimes it was even sat on a shelf in the Martin grocery store and left there. There was a great deal of fussing to be done before Mr. Summers declared the lottery open. There were the lists to make up of heads of families, heads of households in each family, members of each household in each family. There was the proper sewing in, oh, swearing in of Mr. Summers by the postmaster as official of the lottery at one time some people remembered that there had been a ritual of some sort performed by the official of the lottery a perfectory tuneless chant that had been raffled off doorly each year some people believed that the official of the lottery used to stand just so when he said or sang it others believed that he was supposed to walk among the people but years and years ago this part of this ritual had been allowed to lapse there had been also a ritual salute which the official of the lottery had to use in addressing each person who came up to draw from the box but this also had changed with time until now it was felt unnecessary only for the official to speak to each person approaching. Mr. Summers, a very good at all of this, in his clean white shirt and blue jeans with one hand resting carelessly on the black box, he seemed proper and important as he talked entertainably to Mr. Graves and the Martins. Just as Mrs. Sum Mr. Summer finally left off talking and turned to the assembly, assembled villagers, Mr. Hutcherson came hurriedly along the path to the square. Her sweat threw over her sh or sweater threw over her shoulder and slid into place in the back of the cloud. Clean forgot what day it was. She said to Mr. D, who stood next to her, and they both laughed softly. Thought my old man was out back staking wood, Mrs. Hitcherson's went on, and then I looked out the window and the kids was gone, and then I remembered it was the 27 that came along or running. She dried her hands on her apron, and Mr. D said, you're in time, though. They're still talking away up there. Mrs. Hitcherson craned her neck to see through the crowd and found her husband and children standing near the front. She tapped Mr. Dean on the arm as they farewell and began to make her way through the cloud. The people separated good-humoredly to let her through. Two or three people said in voices just long enough to be heard across the crowd, Here comes Mrs. Hutcherson and Bill. She made it after all. Mrs. Hutcherson reached her husband, and Mr. Summers, who had been waiting, said cheerfully, Thought we were going to have to go on without you, Tessie. Mrs. Hutcherson said, grinning, Wouldn't have me leave my dishes in the sink, now would you, Joe? And soft laughter ran through the crowd as the people stirred back into position after Miss Hutcherson arrived. Well, now. Miss Mr. Summers said soberly, "Guess we gotta. Guess we better get started. Get this over with, so we can get back to work." Anybody ain't here.
Dunbar, several people said. Dunbar, Dunbar. Mr. Summers consulted his list. Clyde Dunbar, he said, that's right. He's broke his leg, hasn't he? Who's drawing for him? Me, I guess, the woman said. And Miss Summers turned to look at her. Wife draws for her husband, Miss Summers said. Mr. Summers said, don't you have a grown boy to do it for you, Jenny? Although Mr. Summers and everyone else in the village knew the answer perfectly well, it was the business of the official of the lottery to ask such questions formally. Mr. Summers waited with an expression of polite interest with m while Miss Dunbar answered. Hector's not but 16 yet, Mr. Dunbar said regretfully. I guess I gotta fill in for the old man this year. Right, said Mr. Summers, said. He made a note on the list when he was holding. Then he asked, Watson boy drawing this year? A tall boy in the crowd raised his hand. Here, he said, I'm drawing for my mother and me. He blanked his eyes nervously and ducked his head as several voices in the crowd said things like, Good fellow, Jack. And glad to see your mother got a man to do the job well. Well, Mr. Summers said, guess that's everyone. Old man Warner, make it? Here, a voice said, and Mr. Summers nodded. A sudden hush fell on the crowd as Mr. Summers cleaned his, cleared his throat and looked at the list. Already, he said, now I'll read the names, heads of families first, then the men come up and take a paper out of the box. Keep the paper folded in your hand without looking at it until everyone had a turn. Everything clear? The people had done it so many times that they only half listened to the direction. Most of them were quiet, writing, waiting, wetting their lips, not looking around. Then Mr. Summers raised one hand and said, Adam's a man. Discagged himself from the crowd and came forward. Hi, Steve, Mr. Summers said, and Mr. Adams said, Hello, hi, Joe. They grinned at one another humorously and nervously. Then Mr. Adams reached into the black box and took out a folded paper. He held it firmly by one corner as he turned and went hesitantly back to the place to his place in the crowd. When he stood a little apart from his family, he not looking down at his papers. Ellen, Mr. Summers said. Andrew, Bethlehem. Seems like there's no time at all between lotteries anymore, Mrs. D said to Mrs. Graves in the back row. Seems like we got through the last one only last week. Time sure goes fast, Mrs. Graves said. Clark, D, there goes my old man, Mr. D said. She held her breath while her husband went for Dunbar, Mr. Summers said, and Mrs. Dunbar went steadily to the box. While well, one of the women said, go on, Jenny, and another said, there she goes. Where next, uh, next, Mr. Grace said. She watched, Mrs. Grace said. While Mr. Grace came around from the side of the box, greeted Mrs. Summers gravely, and selected a slip of paper from the box. By now, all through the crowd, there were men holding the small folded papers in their large hands, 
turning them over and over nervously. Mrs. Dunbar and her two sons stood together. Mrs. Dunbar holding the slip of paper, Hartburn, Hutcherson, get up there, Bill, Mrs. Hutcherson said, and the people near her laughed. Jones, they do say, Mr. Adams said to the old man Warner who stood next to him, that over in the North Village, they're talking of giving up the lottery. Old man Warner snorted. Pack of crazy fools, he said, listening to the young folks. Nothing good enough for them. Next thing you know, we'll be wanting to go back to living in caves. Nobody will work anymore. Live that way for a while. Used to be a saying about lottery in June. Corn be heavy soon. First thing you know, we'd all be eating sweet chickweed and acorn. There's always been a lottery, he added. Plenty. Tilly, bad enough to see young Joe Summer up there joking with everybody. Some places have already quit lotteries, Mrs. Adams said. Nothing but trouble in that, old man Warner said. Shh, naughtily, peck of young fools. Martin and Bobby Martin watched his father go for it. Over Key Percy, I wish they'd hurry, Mrs. Dunbar said to her older son. I wish they'd hurry. They're almost through, her son said. You get ready to run, tell Daddy, Mr. Dunbar said. Mrs. Dunbar said. Mr. Summers called his own name and then stood for Previously and selected a slip from the box, then he called Warner. Seventy-seven years I've been in the lottery, old man Warner said as he went through the crowd. Seventy-seven times. Watson, the tall boy, came awkwardly through the crowd. Somebody said, don't be nervous, Jack. And Miss Summer, Mr. Summers said, take your time, son. Zinks. After that, there was a long pause, a breathless pause, until Mr. Summers, holding his slip of paper in the air, all right, fellas, for a minute, no one moved, and then all the slips of paper were open suddenly. All the women began to speak at once, saying, Who is it? Who's got it? Is it the Dunbars? Is it the Watsons? Then the voice began to say, It's Hutcherson. It's Bill. Bill Hutcherson's got it. Go tell your father, Mrs. Dunbar said to her older son. People began to look around to see the Hutchersons. Bill Hutcherson was standing quiet, staring down at the paper in his hand. Suddenly, Tutsi Hutcherson shouted to Mr. Summers, You didn't give him enough time to tickle any paper he wanted. I saw you. It wasn't fair. Be a good sport, Tessie, Mrs. Dundee called, and Mrs. Gray said, All of us took the same chance. Shut up, Tessie, Bill Hutcherson said. Well, everyone, Mr. Summers said, That was done pretty fast, and now we've got to be hurrying a little more to get done in time. He consulted his next list. Bill, he said, you draw for the Hutcherson family. You got another house. You got any other households in the Hutchersons? There's Don and Eva, Miss Hutcherson yelled. Make them take their chance. Daughters draw with their husband's family, Tessie. 
Mrs. Summers said gently, you know that was well as anyone else. It wasn't fair, Tessie said. I guess not, Joe, Bill Hutcherson said regretfully. My daughter draws with her husband's family. That's only fair, and I've got no other family except the kids. Then, as far as drawing for families is concerned, it's you, Miss Thurs Summers said in explanation, and as far as drawing for households in correction, that's you too, right? Right. Bill Hutcherson said, how many kids, Bill? Mr. Summers asked formally. Three. Bill Hutcherson said, three. Bill, Junior, Nancy, and little Dave, and Tessie and me. All right, then, Mr. Summers said. Harry, you got the... You... Harry, you go get their tickets back. Mr. Gray's nodded and held up the slip of paper. Put them in the box, then, Mrs. Summers directed. Take it and put it in. I think we ought to start, Mrs. Hutcherson said. As quickly, as quietly as she could, I tell you it wasn't fair. You didn't give him time enough to choose. Everybody saw that. Mrs. Grave had selected five slips and put them in the box and dropped off all the papers but those on the ground, where the breeze caught them and lifted them off. Listen, everybody, Mrs. Hutcherson was saying to the people around her. Ready, Bill, Mr. Summers asked, and Bill Hutcher Hutcherson, with one quick glance around at his wife and children, nodded. Remember, Mr. Summers said, take the slip and keep them folded until each person has taken one. Harry, you help little Dave. Miss Graves took the hand of the little boy who came willingly with him up to the box. Take a paper out of the box, Davy. Mr. Summers said. Davy put his hands in the box, into the box and laughed. Take just one paper, Mr. Summers said. Harry, you hold it for him. Mr. Graves took the children's hand and removed the folded paper from the tight fist and held it while little Dave stood next to him and looked up at him wonderingly. Nancy's next, Mr. Summers said. Nancy was 12, and her school friends breathed heavily as she went forward, switching her skirt and took a slip daintily from the box. Bill Jr., Mr. Summers said, and Bill, his face red and his feet over large, nearly knocked the box over as he got a paper out. Tessie, Mr. Summers said. She hesitated for a minute, looking around, then sat his, then set her lips and went onto the box. She snatched a paper out and held it behind her. Bill, Mr. Summers said, and Bill Hutcherson reached into the box and felt around, bringing his hand out at last with the slip of paper in it. The crowd was quiet. A girl whispered, I hope it's not Nancy, and the sound of the whisper reached the edge of the crowd. It's not the way it used to be, old man Warner said clearly. People ain't the way they used to be. All right, Mr. Summers said. Open the paper, Harry. You open little days. Mr. Graverson opened the slip of paper and there was a gentle sigh through the crowd as he held it up and everyone could see it was blank. 
Nancy and Bill Jr. opened theirs, and at the same time, and both beamed and laughed, turning around to the crowd and holding their slip of paper about their head. Tessie, Mr. Summers said, there was a pause, and then Mr. Summers looked at Bill Hutcherson, and Bill unfolded his paper and showed it. It was blank. It's Tessie, Mr. Summers said, and his voice was hushed. Show us her paper, Bill. Bill Hutcherson went over to his wife and forced the slip of paper out of her hand. It had a black spot on it, and the black spot. Mr. Summers had made the night before with the heavy pencil and coal company office. Bill Hutcherson held it up, and there was a stir in the crowd. All right, folks, Mr. Summers said, let's finish quickly. Although the village had forgotten the ritual and lost the original black box, they had still remembered to use stones. The pile of stones the boys had made earlier was ready. There were stones on the ground with the blowing scrapes of paper that had come out the box. Mr. D selected a stone so large she had to pick it up with both hands and turned to Mr. D. Come on, she said, hurry up. Mrs. D had small stones in both hands and she said, grasping for breath, I can't run at all. You'll have to go ahead and I'll catch up with you. The children had stones already and someone gave little Dave Hutchinson a few pebbles. Tetsy Hutcherson was in the center of a cleared space by now, and she held her hands out desperately as the villagers moved in on her. It isn't fair, she said. A stone hit her on the side of the head. Old Man Warner said, come on, come on, everyone. Steve Adams was in the front of the crowd of villagers with Mrs. Gray beside him. It isn't fair. It isn't right, Mrs. Hutcherson screamed, and then they were upon her. And that's basically the whole story. It's a little weird. I'll admit. I just wanted to get a disclaimer. The first episode may contain conspiracy theories about huge bills. Spoiler! Could be mature. Please do not listen if you do not want to have any spoilers. I am reviewing different shows, movies, TV shows, so if you do not want to hear any spoilers, please exit now. And I hope you all enjoy this podcast. I'm ready and excited to get going. Okie dokie, artichoke, it's time for an ad break slash sponsor. So I hope you all listen and keep on tuning in because we will continue this conversation after our ad slash sponsor. I hope y'all enjoy this podcast today and the sponsor and ad will be right back. I hope y'all enjoy this podcast. Please stay tuned because the ad is coming up soon. And with the ad coming up soon, I know y'all might want to skip it, but you should at least try to listen to some of it. Maybe it's important. I hope y'all tune back in for more of this podcast. And I hope the ad and sponsor is a good one, Artichokey. Okay, dokie, Artichokey. Ad break is now. Okay, let's continue. 
Jackson later said that June 27, 1948 was the last time for months I was to pick up the mail without any active feeling of panic. The New Yorker forwarded the mail they received about her story, sometimes as many as 10 to 12 letters a day, which according to Jackson came in three main flavors. Bewilderment, speculation, and plain old-fashioned abuse. Jackson was forced to switch to the biggest possible post office box. She could no longer make conversation with postmaster who wouldn't speak to her. Shortly after the story was published, a friend sent Jackson a note saying, Heard a man talking about a story of yours on the bus this morning. Very exciting. I wanted to tell him I know the author. But after I heard what he was saying, I decided I'd better not. Even from her parents, her mother wrote to her that Dad and I did not care at all for your story in The New Yorker. It did seem, dear, that this gloomy kind of story is what all you young people think about these days. Why don't you write something to cheer people up? But it simply never occurred to me that these millions and millions of people might be so far from being uplifted that they would sit down and write me letters. I was downright scared to open, Jackson said later, of the 300 of odd letters that I had received that summer. I can count only 13 that spoke kindly to me, and they were mostly from friends. Jackson kept all the letters, kind and not so kind, and they're currently amongst her papers at the Library of Congress. Some people thought the lottery was non-fiction. Jackson received a number of letters asking her where these rituals took place and if they could go watch them. I've read of some cults in my time, but this one bothers me. Wrote one person from Los Angeles, was this group of people perhaps a settlement descended from early English colonists, and were they con continuing a dupe right to a sore good crops? Reader from Texas asks, I hope you'll find time to give me further details about the bizarre customs the story describes, where it occurs, who participated in it, and why. Someone from Georgia requested. Franklin noted that among those Fools were Sterling Spenter, a producer at 20th Century Fox. Shirley Jackson's story. Was it purely an imagination flight, or do such trivial rituals still exist? And if so, where? In Harvard's psychology professor. It is a wonderful story and it keeps me very cold on the hot morning when I read it. It might seem strange that so many people thought the story was fictional, but, as Franklin noted, at the Times, New Yorker did not designate its story as fact or fiction and the casual or humor were generally understood as falling somewhere in between. The New Yorker had a boilerplate response to letters about the lottery, it went something like this. 
Miss Jackson's story can be interpreted in half a dozen different ways. It's just a fab she chose a nameless little village to show in microscopic how the focus of Bella Grace Productions and ventures are in endless and traditions that their targets are chosen without reason. Jackson did weigh in on the meaning of the lottery. Explain just what I had hoped the story to say is very difficult. She wrote in the San Francisco Chronicle in July 1948. I suppose I hope by setting a particular brutal ancient rate in the present and in my own village to shock the story readers with a graphic description of the pointless violence and generation inhumanity in our own lives. I was right. The lottery has been adapted many times. Though it's most famous for its place on high school reading lists, the lottery has also been adapted into a number of forms, including a radio broadcast in 1951, the lottery has also been featured on The Simpsons. A version of the story was originally published in 2014 and had been updated for 2011. Shirley Jackson. All work. General in garlic and fiction, the short story written can catch at the reader and hold him or her with small things using Bringing with great care to ancient and empathize on fans and fan mail. People and books are sensible and reasonable, but outside there is no predicting what they'll do. Shelley Jackson, memory and delusion? As long as you write in a way regularly, nothing can really hurt you. Okay, well, I think that's it for um, the lottery. I hope y'all enjoyed and had a great weekend. Check out Gummy Bear's Podcast Land to hear animal facts. I hope y'all like. You can check me out on Facebook, YouTube, TikTok. I also have another podcast. I hope y'all enjoyed this podcast. Bye for now. Over and out.